Welcome to the PhD in Parenting Podcast. The podcast where we talk about being a parent in academia and an academic at home. We're your hosts. This is Judith. And this is Erin. So in the past, we spoke a bit about conferencing, but today we really wanted to dig in and talk about traveling with children as part of the academic experience. This means traveling during grad school, after graduate school, and how to balance this with our family duties. And to begin with today, we want to specifically think about conference travel. So why is conference travel an essential part of the graduate school experience? So at our school, the recommendation was that we attend two conferences per year, right? I think that's what uh, we were told and we was recommended to us. And so there was uh, what I would call maybe a reasonable amount of funding available. Uh, there was, a, you know, they weren't paying for us to go to two conferences. So there, you know, like this will come up throughout the episode. The cost is obviously a question, but there was some funding available in our department and um, at the university on a larger scale. And I do feel that as tedious and intimidating uh, conferences can be, and there is a lot of anxiety for me involved with going to conferences still today, conference presentations do have uh, a lot of advantages. I do feel that they are core to the process. And I, when I was thinking about this, I came up with two important reasons. The first reason is that they allow you to present your work. I think that's pretty obvious. Um, a lot of, multiple of my dissertation chapters started at as conference papers that I presented at various conferences. So it allows you to go out, try out your ideas, see how people respond to them, get some feedback, um, that kind of thing. That's one really good way, I think, one benefit of conference presentations. And then the other one is very is also very important uh, and also possibly obvious, and that's a networking component, right? So if you go to a conference, you make connections with people that are on the panel with you, you talk to other people. If you are, you know, I think you're a little bit better at this than I am, but just in terms of, you know, going to mixers and talking to people between panels and things like that. So that's a that's a great way to to meet other people, to network. Um, I think the, as the job market is becoming tougher and tougher, to be able to put together panels with people from other universities is a really useful tool. So if you're making connections at your first conference, if you can then uh, sort of come up with panels to submit to later conferences with people that aren't in your department or in your university. That looks really good on a CV and a job application. And then if, if you get to a point where you have more senior, um, more senior scholars that you're working with, if you can get those to write letters of recommendations and, and things like that for your job application materials, that can be uh, very helpful and useful as well. So, of course, for us as parents um, and for grad students, um, there are two major problems. One I already mentioned is funding, and the other one is um, childcare. So I think there's going to be a lot for us to talk about there today. Erin, can you think of any other, before we really dive in, can you think of any other uh, benefits to conferencing? Is there anything else that I forgot to mention? Um, sure. You talked a little bit about making connections with peers, and I think that's important on many levels, right? Meeting people that share your interests, having that support group. You might meet colleagues that are kind of in the same situation you are. And I wanted to put like maybe a side note there that graduate conferences can be really helpful too as a very first step. I think that some of the first conferences I went to were grad conferences where everyone else there was a graduate student, and that was like a very welcome 
welcoming space. Now, I feel like we were given the instruction that we didn't want to do too many grad conferences. Um, We wanted to kind of like ease our way out of those. But I do remember at the very um, end of my very first year in the PhD program, I went to one and I just thought it was a really good stepping stone. Again, it still had a keynote speaker. It was just a little bit less risky and more of a low stakes interaction with peers and colleagues. Um, So I want to put that out there that if you're a little bit hesitant or nervous, or if you are still a graduate student, those grad school conferences can be awesome. I think what's important too, uh, one thing I hadn't really thought about, this kind of goes back to last week's episode of things I wish I would have known. In our field, we have to find outside readers for our dissertation. They're usually someone who's not only not a part of your university's department, but hopefully not someone that actually works at the university. Now, I have seen successful dissertation uh, committees with people that are from all from the same college, but I was always told or the expectation was try to get a voice that is outside of your university's community. So this would also be a really good way of thinking about outside readers. Um, I did that. I had attended a few and I tried to connect with some folks when I was exploring possibilities for an outside reader for some from people I had worked with and met with and I had a particular good conference experience with um, in England of all places. That one didn't really pan out for me because the person I spoke to was not a specialist in my field, but it was still, um, I felt like a lot more confident approaching this person that I had talked with and hung out with at a conference as opposed to a complete stranger like, hello, you don't know me at all. <laughs> I really really like your work. I mean, that's just such an awkward interaction. So at least if you've met with a person and seen their work and you can even point toward, you know, something they said that was interesting in a conference or I really connected with your work at this level, I think that's a much better end than just randomly trying to find people online. That's really super awkward. Because we both teach or have taught writing and literature, I really like going to conferences now to sort of re- invest myself in the process, but also learn um, new things to use in the classroom. I recently, the last, well, the last conference I went to this year, of course, was the MLA because we have not had any Uh, (laughs) for the rest of the year. But I actually paid a little bit extra to attend a digital humanities workshop, and it was just excellent. I was able to explore things relating to the digital humanities. I I went to the workshop and came away with like four or five things I could literally use in my classroom. And one of them was it's like a social annotation program that I thought was really interesting. I found out that I could use that social annotation program in my learning management system or my LMS. And one of the folks at my college was able to get us like a preview of the program that I was using. And so now it's integrated into my class. And I just thought it was a really, yeah, Yeah. it was really good too, because it kind of proved the value of the conference um, to maybe some of the people that oversee my work. Like, hey, I went to this conference, you helped support me in this. And now I'm actually using something in my class that I took away from this. So I think that's really useful. I had to rethink my strategy about conferencing a little bit because as a grad student, I was like more at liberty to kind of just, I'd be like, oh, that sounds really cool. That has nothing to do with like what I'm thinking about, but that just sounds neat. This is a panel on something that I'm sort of interested in in my personal life. Then when I got to the dissertation 
stage, I would only, I would really try to exclusively go to panels that seemed to be related or helpful in some way to my work that I was working on in my dissertation chapters. So I'd try to be strategic and I would like go through and look through, well, is this on short fiction? Check. But is it related to a female writer? Well, maybe, maybe not. So I'd kind of strategize a little bit. I remember sitting down with you and Ashley and other people and kind of like highlighting which panels I wanted to go to, which mm-hmm. I thought would be the most useful to me. But right. now that I do have a full-time job, I try to attend more of the pedagogical panels, if that makes sense. I try to look for ones that relate more directly to my teaching because I think if my college is investing in me, right, if they're taking the time, if they're investing in me, what are they going to get back? And so that's a really good way for me to kind of leverage, okay, you guys are going to pay for me to go to this conference. Here's what I'm bringing back. And I have to be kind of savvy about that. And so I try to at least always go to several panels that are on teaching. And then I do think about going to ones that are related, okay, maybe I'm working on a particular project that I want some feedback on, or maybe I think this other panel is related to something I'm working on. So those can be really helpful as well. And finally, it can be fun just to go to the conferences and remember why I love academia in the first place and like why, what I love about our field and just getting, it's so, just to like really nerd out about some book you read and you're like, yeah, oh my gosh, you know, it's really that feeling of solidarity. I bore my family members sometimes like, man, I'm reading this book and it's just so great. And I want to talk about all these things. And, you know, I think when I go to a conference, I can connect with people that get what I'm talking about, that have that same passion. And you're not going to find that. It's very rare to find that. So I don't have a lot of conversations with people about literature outside of the conference. So that's what I really like about it. And those are the benefits to me, I think. Um, And I've seen them, you know, firsthand getting readers, networking, as you said, making connections, meeting new people that you might want to work with, um, and hearing different and new ideas. It kind of helps me keep track of what's going on in the field because we're out of class now as well, right? So there's a little bit of that disconnect. Like I loved being in class. I, I really liked being a student because I would kind of have a pulse on the current conversations about literary theory. But now, because I'm strictly teaching composition courses, I'm not in those conversations except when I'm at a conference. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And that's something that I noticed too, just now that I, uh, now that I acquire in specific fields, I attend the same conferences every year, which I didn't use to obviously as a grad, as a grad student, um, because I was more selective at that time. But what I, you know, just reading the program every year, you can kind of get a feel for where conversations are going, what people are interested in, where are the, you know, clusters and things like that. And so that's, it's really, that's really helpful. And that way you get introduced to the new texts and new theoretical concepts that might be useful or that might be, um, you know, trendy and cutting edge as you're working on your own um, writing. So I think that's a really good, good way to think about conferences. And I especially liked what you said about the, you know, being reminded of why you are in the field. I remember just being Uh, especially when I was still in grad school and I was still sort of working on my own academic work. Now conferences are a little bit different for me, but, and we can talk about that later, but just feeling so energized and so just like re engaged with the work and bringing home new ideas and all these notes and all these things to think through. um, I think it's a, it's a great way to get, if you're falling out of your research a little bit to throw yourself back in. 
Right. And that can be really crucial too. We talked a little bit about the dissertation process and kind of feeling like you're going it alone at sometimes, right? That you're kind of this isolated yeah. scholar uh, because you may have you may be in a situation where you're no longer teaching or you're not feeling as connected to the university and you're working from home. So attending those conferences, I think, is important at that stage of the work as well, because I had been, I again, I was in this curious situation where I had started working full time, but was still working on my dissertation. So I missed that connection, the collegiality, if you will, of working in a large English department and R1 school. So going back to the conference and seeing people and hearing people, it really made me feel connected to the work in a way that was like meaningful to me at that stage. And, you know, like you said, I mean, this, if you, if a person gives a paper at a conference that can be like really helpful for framing a dissertation chapter or like kind of even pre-editing and pre-revising, you're getting free feedback, right? Which is kind of awesome. And yes. sometimes it can be harsh, but sometimes we need that harsh feedback. And I would assume it's like this across the disciplines as well, that everyone's trying to think about the new and innovative ways and modes of thinking about their field. So I would assume that this applies to conferences in the sciences as well as in the humanities. Um, and so you talked a little bit about traveling um, early on. And I know that we've both traveled to conferences with children, and I have some hilarious anecdotes to share with our listeners after this. But I have a memory, um, and I think this is a funny one because I'm pretty sure I was pregnant at this conference and I drove alone by myself, which was kind of a strange idea, but it was in Ohio. And I seem to recall seeing you at this conference and you were with a very small infant and your husband. Is that correct? Do I, am I remembering that right? Yes, that is correct. I think this was the Midwest PCA. Um, and I had to actually go back to my CV and look this up because I, my, the memory is so blurred. It, because so I looked it up. It was in October 2012. So she was actually about four months old at the time. And then I had my qualifying exams the following month. So it's it was like in between this whole like difficult or in the middle of this whole difficult fall for me. So that's why my memory is a little blurry. But we were there. Um, my husband and my daughter were with me and that, you know, I was still nursing. And so I felt that it was the best solution for us as a family um, to, I'm just remembering something about this now. <laughs> and she, I was, so this is the reason that I, I didn't have any milk left in the fridge because I was in the process of getting my green card and I had to get vaccines for that. And so oh, my gosh. entire milk supply, I had already used up earlier because I couldn't nurse her for three days after I got my vaccine. So I had no milk stash left in the fridge and that is in the freezer. And so she had, so because I was still nursing, um, they had to come to the conference with me um, or they, you know, that's, the, that's what we chose. They, I guess they w didn't have to do that, but that's, that's the route that we took so that I could go present my paper in the panel. And he was sort of like, I think he tried to attend the panel and listen to the paper and then she got a little fussy. So they left and he just kind of walked her around outside and then we bounced back and forth. I, I don't know how many other panels I attended at that conference, which is why, you know, maybe for me, it wasn't the most ideal solution because it does make it harder to attend panels. Um, but I, I attended some and then we, but we also got to travel together and spend some time together outside of the conference, which sometimes it's just nice to get out of town a little bit too. So. Right. 
Is that the only recollection you have of bringing a child to a conference? Do you have any others that come to mind? Have they traveled with you elsewhere? My kids have not. I don't think I don't have any recollection of any other times. I've traveled with your kids some. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that was a good time. (laughs) I think I've traveled twice to a conference with your youngest. I believe once we, we drove to Chicago and once we drove to Toronto. Is that right? Yeah. And so this is actually, it's funny, but what we're talking about hits on a very important point, which is that we really, I I was reading and you sent me some really interesting blogs and considerations and columns about this, but in, in, in an idealized version, traveling with children is doable. But at the same time, you do need a support system. And I saw some photos of people baby wearing in conferences. And I'm like, oh, that's so awesome. But as we know, and uh, she's probably not going to listen to this, my youngest child was definitely my most difficult child. She is very, she's seven now. She is a very passionate individual. She runs very, very hot or very, very cold, right? She's um, she's kind of like that as a baby. And she was fine as long as I was holding her, okay? So we did. We The one, I just remember driving um, to Chicago with you and her. And she, I want to say she cried. It's about a four hour drive or so. I feel like she cried for three hours and 45 minutes on the way there. And I remember that she cried for about the first hour on the way back, fell asleep. Then I went to check on her and I woke her up and then she probably cried for another two hours. I don't know what made me think that I was going to be able to balance having her at a conference, I think, did you watch her while I gave my presentation at that one? Did I have you watch her? And were we like, I mean, because I must have, because she was so loud and noisy. She was about maybe seven or eight months old, something like that. I don't remember how old she was even. See, it's all a blur to me as well. But I feel like you must have kind of um, walked around with her in the stroller while I gave my presentation. And then I had this idea. I've, I had seen this happen at other conferences where she was going to kind of just like sit quietly with me as I attended conferences, um, as I went to panels. And that didn't happen. I just remember I felt incredibly uncomfortable, not about nursing, but just because she was at an age where she was active a little bit, like she was playing and loud. And I felt in a way that that might have been disrespectful to the people sharing their work. Um, And so I know that I've seen other photos and instances of people doing this more successfully than I did at that conference. Maybe if the Well, I'm sure you could have taken a successful photo at at one point in the conference (laughs) too, right? I'm sure there was, but I do believe, I do think you're right that age is a huge factor in that, right? Right, And and a little bit the temperament of the child. I think with my oldest, I probably, she would have probably been a lot better about just kind of relaxing in and hanging out and not, you know, making a big fuss. My little one right now, I would not take her to a conference. She's very busy and she's, and then the age, you know, absolutely factors into that. If they're starting to figure out how to crawl or how to stand up when they're six, seven, you know, eight months old, that's what they want to do. That's what they want to do all day. My daughter's just figuring out how to stand by herself. That's what she's doing all day. I can, you know, you wouldn't be able to like that would not. and, And I think you're right. That's not fair to the person that's trying to deliver their paper. I think a little bit of, you know, baby presence is absolutely fine. And I think everybody thinks that that's even valuable to see scholars. Right, right. Combining those activities. But there's there's a point at which it becomes disruptive 
at the same time, right. I think the big the big bonuses or the big thing to say is that as moms, we're probably more sensitive to that. It, we probably find it disruptive before other people find it disruptive. I could right. see that because we're nervous about it and we don't want to bother anybody. So I think we know when it's time to to leave. But I'm sorry that, you know, that that's how that conference played out for you. That probably made well, it hard to... We had a second one, which again speaks to support. And this one is kind of my favorite because it is a conference that happens yearly in Toronto on motherhood. And so my own mother drove with us. <laughs> and you were such a good sport about this. But my own mother uh, came with us because she was, I'm, I'm very fortunate. I have the support that my, my mom lives close by. And so she came to that conference with us because I was still nursing at the time. And that was important to me okay, to keep that up. Right. And so I must have had bottles or something like that. But we were able to like go to every panel at that conference because my own mom came with us and she just walked the baby in the stroller, I guess possibly gave her a bottle. Maybe by that time she was eating a little bit of solid food. Again, all these memories are a little bit hazy in my yeah. recollection because it's I just think of being like not sleeping that well. I do remember um, that my mom and Violet and I shared a bed and you were next to us. And I always think what a great friend. <laughs> but it was a really good. But see, that conference, I felt a, it was just so much better for me because I knew my baby was comfortable. She was happy. She was there. If anything really happened, if she really need, needed me at the time, I could have easily gotten back to the hotel. But I just remember really enjoying that conference because I could just sit and relax and take notes and really listen and really engage without feeling the stress of like, is my baby being too loud or noisy? And I mean, obviously in a conference, on motherhood, there'd probably be no better place to bring a child if you, if one, you know, if you felt called to do that. But for me, um, there's just, she was just always really busy and cranky. And I was really happy to have that support. But that brings us to another question, which is not everyone has that support. Um, there obviously are single parents that may be traveling that want to attend single parent academics. And is this support always available? I'm not sure. I think it could be really um, a challenge for a lot of people. I do want to say, as my children have gotten older, again, I think this is really a great experience that I have been able to go to a lot of different places I had on my list. Um, and I have rethought this as well as I've gotten a little more wise and a little more mature. But we have driven to St. Louis. That was a 10-hour drive. That one was iffy. I probably wouldn't do that again. We drove to <laughs> Chicago with kids, um, and I drove to Concord, Massachusetts with a baby. That was my easy baby. She just looked out the window and smiled the whole time. Um, and then we even did <laughs> go awesome. to a conference in Oxford. Uh, we flew to England, and because I was a nursing mother, that was a particularly good flight for me. Every time she squawked or did anything, I just gave her the breast, and she was a very happy baby during that. So we flew overnight, too, so that one was a little bit easier. Yeah. So I think there. I think that's an added benefit too, which is that, um, again, thinking about support and if people have that, if you have support and you, you want to bring your children, then that can be a meaningful experience um, for them as well to not only see their mothers and fathers at work in the academy, but also like to get to experience some different cities. I had always wanted to see the St. Louis Arch 
I just, it's like kind of this really awesome and it was really even better to see in person. It's like really cool. You have to see it. Um, and mm-hmm. I had, when I went to England, it was really great because it was a summer conference and I ended up going to Scotland for a bit and reconnecting with some of my cousins that I hadn't seen in like 10 years. So that can be really neat. But I think it all has to connect back to funds, support, um, and that can be kind of a block for some people trying to go to conferences. I mean, if there is funding, you know, I've used this. I've used uh, funding that I got from the university in the same way, as I said before in previous episodes, my family is in Germany. And so I have presented at a couple different conferences in Germany. And when there was funding to cover part of the flight or cover the whole flight, and then I was able to use that. And all I had to do was then pay for uh, my daughter to come along. I left her with my parents um, and then was able to travel to a conference within Germany and had some of the, the trip that I would have taken to see my family anyway. I had that covered or, you know, however you want to, um, however you want to flip it. So I think it definitely helps to be creative about opportunities, you know, seek out the funding and then see how you can use it. Well, um, if you have a partner that can travel with you, it can be, like you said, a, a very, uh, a very fun family activity or a family trip. And there's just a bunch of different, I think there's a lot of different ways to look at conferences. They can be, it can be really challenging and daunting. And I've definitely, shied away from traveling. I think when I was looking back at my CV, I realized that the year after my daughter was born, I didn't, I didn't attend any conferences. And I think that was partially because I didn't know how to do the traveling and I wasn't ready to, uh, I wasn't in the headspace when it was time to write, you know, the proposals. Um, so I can totally see that sometimes it can be daunting and overwhelming, but I think there are lots of creative ways to, to make it work. I did, ha- I did take those, the, the one or two trips to Germany, but I would have taken those anyways. And other than that, I've also only attended conferences as a grad student that were within driving distance from Detroit. I went to the ones in Toronto and Chicago that we already talked about. I drove to Louisville and that's not too far. Um, and then, yeah, there was one in Columbus that I went to and another one in Illinois. And those were, those were the ones that I looked to. And I think there are, so for the, for some of the uh, areas that are important to my fields, they have regional conferences. So there are the smaller regional conferences for some associations like the popular culture association. And, but then also the national conferences also come around, right? So I think the one that we attended in Chicago was actually the national PCA conference. So I think it helps right. to stay on the lookout for those. Like when are those travel, when are those, the MLA travels all around um, the country and, and Canada. So when to keep an eye out for when they are close to you and then make sure that you send a proposal in on time so that you can attend them when they're near you as compared to having to fly to, I think the American Studies Association last year was, it or was supposed to be in Hawaii. Right. Um, and that seems pretty preventative. Like I, yeah, I was thinking about um, attending that one for work and I just was thinking that maybe, you know, it's probably very preventative for a lot of people to attend the conference. And so I actually ended up picking a different one to go to. So 
Right. I was invited to something in Hawaii as well. And I'm like, you (laughs) know where I live, right? Um, It was actually someone I met at the MLA. And I'm like, that sounds amazing, but that's not going to happen for me. Right. Um, And even with the funding we received during graduate school, it can be really tricky because there was different grants you could apply for. And I remember it was either you could get a $300 one or $500 one. And Mm -hmm. $500 sounds so generous, but when you think about the cost of the conference itself, right? And typically for a conference, you not only pay the admission fee, but it asks that you then become a member of that organization yes. if mm-hmm. you're not already. So sometimes that can be a couple hundred dollars right off yeah. the bat, right? And there are usually graduate student decreased fees, which is really nice and helpful. But then the hotels, even if they are giving you a conference rate, that's a couple of hundred dollars, right? Even if it's a little, a lot of times they'll say, well, we have a special rate for conference attendees. Most of the conferences are in pretty nice hotels. So it's still a little expensive. Then of course, eating, gas. I mean, so the $500 I felt like helped, but it didn't cover everything. And so that can be a consideration as well. I know some graduate students um, traveled with another classmate, right? And split the hotel room down the middle, which is probably what we did in that one for Toronto. So that cut our costs a bit. Yeah. I've also stayed in hotels outside of the conference hotel to save costs. I've done that a couple of times. And then what that was, I think, that wasn't an option when I was in grad school, when I was attending conferences at a gra- as a grad student. But I feel like people now use Airbnb a lot more. So I think that's a way to make it more affordable and save some money. I think those tend to run a little bit cheaper than um, hotel rooms. But again, I haven't done that before. And I do like being in the hotel in the conference hotel, just because when they have evening events and things like that, it's nice to just be able to get from the from the whatever reception they're hosting straight to your room and not having to then, you know, walk five blocks down the road or right. even further than that to get to whatever other place you're staying at. You, you mentioned Louisville. I love that. There's a really great conference every year. And we stayed at the Brown Hotel, which is like one of Louisville's most iconic hotels oh, yeah. anyway. But they give you that shuttle bus, which was nice too, just because oh, it's an unfamiliar yeah. city. Yeah. So there is like, I think there's ways of, as you mentioned, being creative about the funding. But all of this can be really expensive when you consider if a person's a graduate student, then they're only getting that stipend, which, as we mentioned, isn't always the highest amount of pay. And then what I was going to say earlier is I'm also if I am traveling with my kids, I probably I think you're the only person I would have felt comfortable traveling with with a small child. Right. I mean, yeah, if, if you <laughs> and if, it, you know, if I'm speaking to a single parent again, I don't I'm not going to I know sometimes people will even put ads up and notices prior to like an MLA, like, hey, I'm looking for someone to split a room with, I probably would never do that because I'm really, I'm really picky about who I'm going to share a room with just because I just am, you know, and I could see that being disastrous. And then there'd be no way I would ever do that with a child. But I'd even have to be even with the people I knew from our cohort or even coworkers, I don't think I'd always feel comfortable sharing a room with because I'm, you know, I don't, they don't know me as well, perhaps as they think they do. And I just like my own space. And I felt comfortable traveling with you. We've traveled actually, we've traveled a lot. Um, because I think that when yeah. you talked about in DeKalb, we drove to that one together too, just no babies. Yes, we did. That, <laughs> so. No, that was, I was pregnant at that one. And <laughs> I just went to bed, I think at like 5pm because I was so tired. Um, yeah, I just remember that. But 
that yeah that was an interesting location too i don't again i don't remember a whole lot about that one um that was a long time ago it feels like yeah but but that was yeah so we've traveled and then we got to go to um berlin which was a pretty awesome experience for me at least to go to germany with a german that was pretty sweet um but we that was a good that that i never would have been able to swing but we got help from, um, I think our advisor got a really great amount of funding to be able to bring like, was there like eight or 10 of us to go look at visual culture in Berlin? That was, I mean, and so that was to me, one of the best parts of graduate school. And I've talked about this um, with our advisor that that was, um, that can be like transformative for some students, because for a lot of us that grew up here in Michigan, we have not necessarily always traveled outside of the United States. So to go and just spend a week looking at these really awesome pieces of visual culture in Berlin. I was like blown away by that. So to me, I think I was again, lucky in that one that all my children were old enough to stay with my husband. And I mean, I think it was kind of a rocky week for them, but it's all about that support. Right. Um, Cause you know, it's four kids. So that's, that's always fun for him. Um, yeah. So you're, so we're both pretty well traveled and we've talked a little bit about kind of like being able to bring family members, um, spouses or significant others, or in some cases, mothers to conferences. Do you think that any conferences, any of the big ones actually offer childcare options? And then I have a follow-up to that. How comfortable are you with using such options? Because I have seen sometimes hotels say, well, we have, you know, you can call this resource for babysitting options. So do you think those conferences have childcare? And if so, how do you feel about using them? So I know that the National Women's Studies Association has childcare. And if any one conference would, you know, that would be the one to expect where you would expect to find that. I have not personally checked that out. The only time I've attended the Women's Studies Association was as an acquiring editor, and I'm not, you know, bringing family at that point. Um, And so I haven't given that a try. I would probably be comfortable leaving my kids there for the duration of the panel in which I'm presenting, but I don't know that I would do it for three or four days. And I feel like that's something where conferences just become like so flexible in a, in a positive and a negative way, maybe where, you know, yes, you're there to attend the conference. You're there to present your panel. The expectation is usually that you expect that you attend all panels or panels for the entire duration of the conference. Um, and then, you know, how comfortable are you to do that and how important is the networking and how important is, you know, all of that engagement at that particular time with, at that particular conference so like some of the some of the blogs that you and I and some of the articles that you and I have um have looked at do pose that question of like okay you're at a conference to network your kids are probably going to make that a little bit more difficult um and then you have to weigh that you know wanting to be able to network independently without being distracted by a child that needs something um almost constantly unless they're sleeping with you know, leaving them in the care of somebody else. And I don't know how comfortable I would be doing that, like I said. And I think that's something that individually every every mother and every family has to kind of decide. I don't think there's like a, you know, a go-to route. It's kind of like a daycare at a gym. I don't know that, you know, I don't know right. that I would necessarily 
you know, I would probably go running in the neighborhood and and put the kid in the stroller before I would go to the gym. But other people, you know, might feel differently about that. So um, I don't know. What do you, have you used that before? And, and how do you feel about that? So you're talking to the woman that has probably, I don't think I've ever <laughs> even really had a babysitter beyond my own mother. I just yeah. feel reticent about putting my children in the care of someone I don't know that well. And that's, yeah. that's me. And, but again, I'm coming from a privileged situation where I can make that choice. Not everyone has a mother who is, you know, right down the street. That's, I'm just, yeah. I'm very privileged. And so it's very easy for me to think that way. But I can recall at least one conference, again, the Society for the Study of American Women Writers, who oh, offered a couple. Yeah. yeah, exactly. They <laughs> I don't know that they had child care on hand, but they actually offered a stipend, a small stipend to help out with child care. Um, oh, and I thought, yeah, okay. I thought that was really cool. And then that conference also gave stipends out to graduate students. And I just thought that was really generous and forward thinking. But again, it's coming from the study of women writers. So it made sense. Yeah. But I have been so fortunate to have people around me that can kind of support me in this journey. And that's one thing that I think is challenging about the world of academia, especially thinking about last week's episode where I kind of revealed I went to graduate school based on the relative, you know, proximity to my family. And that was kind of my deciding factor because I already had two or three children at the time. And so I had dreams of maybe going somewhere else, but I just, did, I was like, I can't, that's not going to work for me, you know? So right. I haven't really ever used a lot of ch- childcare in general, to be honest, other than my mother. Yeah, <laughs> it is. I mean, and I just was thinking about like networking and all those great things, but a lot of what happens about making connections can happen after the panels. And that I think can be sometimes difficult to negotiate as well because people might like to step out, have a shared dinner, drinks. And whereas I am certain that a lot of our colleagues would be happy or fine with me bringing my child to the bar, am I going to feel comfortable in that position just because I don't necessarily want my child at the bar with, you know, everyone else. So I think that can be difficult because a lot of those chats, a lot of those kind of networking opportunities might be at a really cool speakeasy or, you know, at some hipster bar after the conference. Um, And I don't usually go to a lot of that stuff. I will go to luncheons during the day and those types of networking Mm -hmm. events. But also if you do have a partner or a friend who is watching your children while you're doing the work of the conference, that's a long day for them as well, right? To be like, okay, well, um, because a lot of our conferences will have things going on like all day. I mean, the last one, the MLA, there were things happening from 8 a.m., I think until 9 p.m. at night. I mean, you could have been, and you sort of- PCA is like, yeah. Yeah, it's like all day. And I think you just um, pointed to this. It's I think a word I was looking for was exhausting. You said flexible, but I find it exhausting sometimes. If you are trying to be that good and kind of like dutiful conference attendee, I always feel like if my college is going to pay for me or help support me, I better actually get something out of it. You know, I feel like that's, I feel like I, that's sort of my obligation. If my college is going to help fund me to take this trip, I I, I should actually do a good job of attending panels and thinking about it, but it can be very exhausting. I mean, because it's a lot, it's a lot of like hearing a lot of like really deep and, you know, heady ideas And it's switching a lot. It's not like when you're, you know, when you're focused on your, when you're sitting at your desk and you're working on your dissertation and you're thinking about the same thing 
um, now you're in a situation where every 20 minutes somebody is uh, bombarding you with something completely new and completely right. different and a completely new set of ideas. And so that can be challenging and that can be exhausting. And I'll be honest, you know, if I don't have kids with me, that's not a guarantee that I'm going to be going to any mixers either because I, <laughs> right. <laughs> because I just, you know, I travel for work without my kids now. And if I get to go at the end of the day, order a pizza or whatever and eat it in bed while like reading a book and enjoying the quiet, I'm much more likely to do that than to go out and seek out more interaction with more people that I don't know that I've never met before that are, you know, make me feel a little bit out of place, you know, when the imposter syndrome comes back. And so I think just because just just because the kids are there doesn't mean that they are preventing you from doing things that you would otherwise be doing. Right. That's actually why I really enjoy traveling with you to conferences, because then you already have somebody that you can go into all of these different um, places yeah. with. That's a good yeah, tip, right? Yeah. Like that's, that's, I mean, I talked about this um, a bunch of times now, but just having and making good supportive friends in this program, I think is like key to a person's success for completion, but also this type of activity. I'm a weird kind of extroverted introvert where when you're talking about unwinding, like I feel like at the end of a long day of like conference panels, yeah, I just kind of want to chill out and maybe yeah. read something or watch um, a TV show or just kind of have some quiet time and process a little bit and yes. unwind because yeah. it's been discussion, discussion. And so I just want to kind of go to the hotel and unwind. Did you want to speak a little at all about the kind of travel a person in the alt-ec field can expect? I mean, you've talked a little bit about the kind of travel that you've had to do, but we've talked a lot about conferencing so far and how it leads to relates to what we do in the teaching fields. Do you want to speak to a little bit of the travel that you've kind of done within your field of publishing? So my travel is also academic conferences. That's pretty much the extent of it. So if you've gone to um, any of the conferences, any of the larger conferences that you attend, there's usually a book exhibit. All of the uh, main academic presses are there. They exhibit their books and you'll have an acquisitions editor or two there that are ready to talk with people about their projects. And that's that's the kind of travel that I do now. I run, I usually bring an assistant with me or sometimes I'll bring an assistant with, with me who runs the booth and then I will be sort of out and about um, chatting with people about their projects. The conferences that I currently attend, so I acquire in cultural studies and gender studies and the conferences that I currently attend are the National Pop Culture Association Conference, the Cultural Studies Association, and then those are for cultural studies and then for gender studies I attend and the National Women's Studies Association Conference. That one I've gone to once in 2019. Last year I was actually on maternity leave. That was in San Francisco last year, and I didn't attend it. The year before it was in Atlanta. Um, okay. I was in Atlanta. So that one, you know, it's nice for me. It gives me a little bit of a break. I actually enjoy uh, traveling without my kids quite a bit. Uh, because it puts my husband and a little bit my in-laws uh, into the position where they just kind of have to figure it out. And I don't have to be there. The first time I traveled, I like pre-cooked food and put it in the freezer. And then my husband ended up taking the kids to like places anyway. And all the food was still there. So now I don't even do food prep anymore because I know it just gets ignored anyway. And um, so then I just, you know, I'm off 
I'm off duty for a little bit. Um, I actually get to have like quiet evenings and I don't feel guilty about it because my husband used to travel a lot for work too. When we were still in DC, he used to travel for his work and he would get to get to do that. So I like, you know, like I said earlier, I like having the full days. I like talking to all the people, but then at the end of the day, I really enjoy just being, um, by myself for a little bit. Um, I was in New Orleans last spring for the Cultural Studies Association, so that was wonderful. I walked around New Orleans quite a bit um, and had some good food. And then with the the Pop Culture Association was actually in D.C., and we were living outside of D.C. So that was a really big challenge because I wasn't technically off-duty. Like, I traveled in and out of D.C. I didn't get to stay at the hotel, so oh, it was... Yeah. That was really difficult to maneuver. And it was Easter, too, so the daycares were closed. So I actually had to, like, um, get neighbors to help with the kids and things like that. Um, So that was a huge challenge because I had to be there for the, you know, for the time that the book exhibit was open. Then I had to travel home and then I had to do, you know, all of the evening stuff. That was a lot. Um, Yeah, I do really really feel that conferences for me are a lot easier when I do have that time to unwind just because it is really mentally draining to have all of those different conversations like we were talking about um, before. So but now, you know, things are not there are very few or if any in-person meetings. Most conferences have gone virtual. I haven't personally attended any uh, virtual conferences. I don't know. How does that, have you done any virtual conferences? And if so, how, um, how did that work out for you, Erin? Well, so I've been trying to continue to be engaged over the summer. I have attended some webinars that the National Council of English Teachers has put on over the summer. And That's been interesting. Like, I think it's never going to be quite the same as being in person because there's just so many barriers when we're talking about online presentation. There were some technology barriers sometimes. Again, you have that glitching sometimes. Sometimes there's a delay. Uh, And then there's always like issues with Wi-Fi, with my own Wi-Fi, but also maybe even with the panelists, right? Because they're all coming from a different space. It's not like as though they're all in one location talking together. Um, But I mean, I really like the content. And we've done some of these for my own college at a smaller level. But I just wonder if that same sort of networking will be available to me. Sometimes I think it can be harder to approach someone, like I said, via online I suppose I could say and reach out, well, um, you know, I saw your panel in this online Zoom meeting. Um, I'd really like to chat with you more. But I think sometimes there's something a little bit more organic about just seeing someone in the hallway after their panel presentation and trying to introduce yourself. I think it might be a little bit harder to do in that virtual world. And, you know, I even went to my very first dissertation defense online a couple of weeks ago. Oh, yeah. How was that? That that was really interesting. It was a different sort of dissertation than our field. It was um, from the world of instructional design. And I I wondered if it was more or less nerve wracking for the student to be defending in that online world, because then there was all these other factors, right? You know, and it's someone that I knew pretty well. I actually worked with her at Wayne State. I was her writing tutor. So it was really oh, cool, cool to like see her defending. But so she invited me and I was like, oh, of course, that's really great. But I she had a comment about, you know, when she was getting ready 
And then she's like, oh my gosh, I need my computer plug. It's saying I'm on low battery. And that just like, I was feeling such a sense of anxiety for her and all those kinds of little things that I think add another layer of anxiety or stress um, as opposed to, and it's all being recorded as well, which, you know, I sort of like how when you're giving, there's this sort of ephemeral quality of a conference that, you know, it's not, they're not always recorded. Keynotes, of course, usually are, but just the idea that the whole thing was being recorded and then there's all these different people chiming in. Especially for a dissertation defense, but also the same, I think, goes for conferences. It's so important to have that friendly face in the room. Like right. my husband was at my dissertation defense. I knew yeah. that was one person that wasn't going to grill me on anything, you know, like that yeah. was just somebody that I could cling to when I got nervous or whatever that, you know, who was sitting there, who was like my support person. And I feel like whenever we have gone to conferences together, it's the same way, you know, like I will go to your panels, you will go to my panels and just having that one or two people there that are there to support you and have a positive conversation that just really helps to have something to look at when you're doing your presentation. I don't know you know, where you're, I guess you could have like your partner in the room when you're presenting, doing your presentation for the defense. But I don't think that would be the same as sort of having everybody in the room together for some, for the defense. I feel really bad for people that have to defend their dissertations in this. That must be exponentially harder. Right. And then there's all the other distractions that we've talked about trying to negotiate this work between home life and work life. (laughs) Working from the home office, I mean, it's not just my family members that can be loud. And I think it's kind of nothing short of a miracle that we've been doing this podcast so successfully for the last couple of months because, you know, I have a very loud family, but I also have a loud my dog's toenails, for example, I don't even know if I want to put this on here, but she's just loud and it's a distraction or like a cat jumping in front of the screen. Or I live off of a main road and it's really noisy. These trucks, these semi trucks go by and they shake my whole house. And I just feel like all those other distractions of trying to give this really solid academic presentation. When I'm at a conference, it literally is in a closed hotel room, right? There are very few distractions from the outside world. This is like the opposite of that. I am trying to still do my best work and be professional with everything else kind of leaking in from the cat to the dog, to the kids, to the neighbor with his um, chainsaw buzzing in the background. And (laughs) it's just like very noisy where I live. And to me, All of that can be distracting. And so I I just don't know if I'd be prepared to do this type of work from home. And I think it complicates attending panels. So, you know, if this was something that I was doing, I would have absolutely no problem getting somebody to, you know, take the kids for a walk for the duration of my panel. You know, when you're attending other panels... Oh, well, you know, you're just watching, right? So you don't have to, like, she can right. be in here, right? She can just right. be next to you and play, right? You you know? Right, and that's so then, true. But it's not the same. It's not, you know, like, it is a distraction, and then you're not getting the same out of it as, like, if you're traveling to a conference, then you're just out. And, you know, that's what you're doing, and, that's, and everybody else has to kind of make it work. And they do. You know? Right. They do. Right. Um, but but when you're you know when you're watching a conference on your computer, I don't know that 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 it would have the same effect. At least right. not in my family, I don't think. I use my computer for my recreational purposes as well. There's a lot of times, and so I don't know that my family always understands when I'm working and when I'm quote playing on my computer, mm-hmm. because. 
I could be working on grading papers and that looks much the same as if I am watching a show on Netflix. So there's that sort of like for them, what are you doing, mom? Are you working? We don't really know, you know? And so I think that's going to be a hard divide as well. But conversely, and kind of actually related to uh, what we're doing right now, which is you, you know, kind of hosting a podcast with our family in the background, some people suggest that even if we ever sort of resolve the situation with COVID-19, that maybe we should continue to offer conferences online only because academia, as we know, is filled with diverse people, people that like us are in different stages, have family members, babies, kids. If people don't always have the ability to travel, um, whether that's because of physical mobility constraints or maybe their family or work life, should we or is this going to be the wave of the future that all conferences will continue to be offered via Zoom or as a Skype conference? I mean, do you think that's where we're heading? Do you think that makes it like a more egalitarian landscape for everyone to attend conferences? Do you think that's what we're thinking? That's a really difficult question, and I'm not sure how much of an answer I really have. I do see the benefits in terms of making conferences more egalitarian and making it possible for more people to be part of them. However, I do have a lot of concerns about Zoom meeting taking over our lives and like this idea that, oh, you know, people are just going to get used to seeing our family members on screen with us. I have struggled very much during this pandemic with not feeling great about the work that I do and the parenting that I do. And part of it has to do with the fact that the lines are so blurred. And so I think um, this idea that everything can be done online and everything can be done via Zoom is misleading and is particularly harmful to working mothers. So um, that being said, I just think that, you know, academic the personal meetings are just also so important in and of themselves, not just because, you know, it's easier to do them without, without kids around. Um, I think that academic work can get really, really lonely if we don't connect with people in some way. Um, it, some of my biggest moments of growth, I think, have occurred in a classroom setting when somebody called me out on my BS. And so the conferences, I think, work much the same way. So, if there are people in the room that are listening to your conference presentation and they give you feedback, that's how you sharpen your scholarship. That's how you sharpen your arguments. And I don't think that people are as comfortable um, sharing these kinds of things via Zoom. I think a lot of people struggle with how awkward it feels to be on Zoom and to have to raise your hand to leave a comment and things like that. I just think that, you know, on in virtual conferences, you're not going to get the same sort of engagement and the same feedback that you get in face-to-face meetings. And so I really hope that after the pandemic is over, if that should ever be the case, which it doesn't feel like it right now, but I'm assuming one day it will be, um, I hope that we're going to go back to some form of physical meeting you know, but maybe this, maybe there's a learning moment here. Maybe this can be a way for us to rethink how conferences work. And maybe there's a possibility there to come up with some sort of like mixed media solution or just a general, just generally a mixed solution where um, there is a physical meeting that is held somewhere. And maybe people that present in panels generally are expected to attend the physical meeting. 
but there is a larger opportunity for um, virtual attendance or even, you know, I guess there's, I guess you could think about that back and forth a little bit. Maybe, you know, people could present uh, via Zoom as well if they wanted to. And then there could be maybe lower fees for virtual attendance if people were just trying to attend some of the panels or view some of the panels. Um, but then, you know, just to be able to maybe pick up video streams or something like that, I think that would be um, an ideal solution to go back to physical meetings, but somehow making them accessible for uh people who are not able to travel, whether it be for financial reasons or for childcare reasons or whatever other reasons somebody might have. Yeah, definitely for sure. And there's benefits to both, right? I mean, I do in some ways, I like the idea of recording sessions. I think that can be really helpful. I used to go to conferences with a notebook and then it's funny because I find these notebooks like 10 years later and I'm like, that sounds really kind of smart, but also what the heck am I talking about here? Um, I think I told you my husband Ernie finds them and he's like, what? It, this is just like the ramblings of a mad woman. I'm like, no, no, no. See, there's a conference panel and I had some ideas here and it sounds really neat. But I think in some ways then having like a lasting record of the panel and like people talking, that could be useful to some people. Also with access- accessibility issues. Um, then you have the ability sometimes to give a closed caption to a conference proceeding, and that could be really helpful. So there's, I think that's something to continue to think about as well, because I know at my college, we're very much in line with all the federal regulations involving accessibility. So there would be a way of, I think, incorporating some of those strategies in like an online slash face-to-face conference setting. So I think we did pretty well talking about travel. Is there anything else that we think we should mention? I would love to hear from listeners if they've attended any of these virtual conferences. Yeah. Tell us what that's like. Um, I've only done webinars so far. I haven't actually been to a full on conference. I know that I was scheduled to do a Midwestern MLA this fall. And rather than putting that one online, as far as I know right now, they actually have just shifted the entire conference. They're like, we're just going to move it to 2021. We'll keep the same theme. We'll keep the same program. If you've been accepted, you're still in that conference if you want to go, but it's all going to be in 2021. So that's an interesting way of thinking about it as well. But for me, sometimes I like that idea, but then I'm like, am I going to still be as excited about this topic in one year? Am I going to remember what you know brought me to wanting to write or think about this topic in 2021? Because I probably applied for this in February or something of this year. So that's what happened in one of my main conferences. But yeah, I agree. I would love to hear experiences from the listeners. If you are going to online conferences, do you think it's the same? Is it more accessible, especially if you do have children? Or is this something that your field has been doing right along? So we'd love to hear from people uh, that have attended conferences, either in person or virtual with their kids, um, with families or without them. What were some of the things that worked for you? What would you do differently if you were to do it again? And how? what are your experiences with these Zoom meetings? If you want to share some of your experiences, you can email us at phdandparentingpodcast at gmail.com. And you can also find us on Instagram at phdandparenting. So thanks once again for listening. It's really great to see that we have listeners all around the world. I would love to hear how academia works in other countries. If you'd like to share your experiences, we'd love to hear from you as well. Until next time, thanks for listening.